Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio, and I, like many of you, am pretty damn excited right about now because this is our final show before training camp, i.e. actual football begins. No, it's not games. No, it's not all live. But football will be happening. Team reports this week. Players report in a couple days. And the first practice will be on the 27th out in, Flo- out in Florham Park. And from once the 27th hits, the Jets hit the ground running. I, myself, <clears throat> will be out there covering it for JetNation.com for the first uh, eight, nine, looks like about ten practices. I'll be out there on the sidelines joined by a couple of different writers. We're going to mix it up with some of the Jet Nation coverage this year. Once the Atlanta game wraps up, I will be on a plane the following evening, heading back this way, back to the U.K. But, uh, but man, I'm excited, and I know you guys are too. Sam Darnold, we finally get to see him in uniform. Uh, he's not under contract yet. We'll touch on that briefly later on. But <clears throat> it's an exciting time. Like I said, I can't wait to get out there. Probably going to do maybe a couple of short shows 20 minutes, 30 minutes, something along those lines, um, the first couple of days of practice, and maybe if, if, you know, if there are any significant developments, things worth really digging into, just kind of, you know, you may, you may log into your, your iTunes and, and see an extra episode here or there uh, dropped in, and nothing too extensive, nothing too long-winded, but just touching base on a few different things that, as things happen, out at camp, keep your eye on JetNation.com, Follow us on Twitter. Uh, give me a follow if you can at AceFan23, A-C-E-F-A-N-23. Also, t- check out some of our writers if you're not following them already. At Dan Fika, at Harrison Glazer, at Will Snell. Check them out. Check the Jet Nation writer page. And uh, <clears throat> get ready to keep up because there's going to be the, the news, the, the, uh, the articles, the content is going to start flowing. It's always nice to to get rolling after this time of year because this is, let's face it, the slowest time of year, but that's about to come to an end, and I couldn't be happier about it. So a little bit of news today. First, I want to thank our sponsor, Miles Social. Miles Social, they help your business and your social media with websites, SEOs, and social media accounts. Check them out at milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E social.com. If you're running a small business or have a friend who's doing the same, wearing one too many hats and need to take a little bit off their plate, contact Miles Social. They'll take, all, take care of all your social media needs and hopefully bringing in a few more customers through your doors and a few more dollars in your pocket. So check them out, milesocial.com, Miles Social. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Sam Darnold contract situation. We're going to talk about training camp battles. You know, it's, uh, everything's been so QB-centric this offseason. You know, we, we've, I mean, we touch on just about everything throughout the year. But uh, today the, the, the big focus is going to be some of the names that, that we're going to hear in the coming weeks, guys who are fighting for either a starting job, a backup job, a roster spot, anything along those lines. <clears throat> so... Oh, we're also going to touch on Darrell Rivas, of course, who uh, who 
announced his retirement officially today, signed a one-day deal, a lot of jokes about the uh, negotiations and didn't hold out. You can't not make one. As bad as they are, as silly as it is, I think I even threw one out there the day they announced it would be a one-day deal. You just can't help it. The guy, as great as he was, and I said it today, whether you know whether you like the holdouts or not, the contract issues that that pissed you off as a fan during his time here, uh, you know there was plenty of time to be mad about that, and there will be plenty of time to be mad about that if you if that's something you feel like hanging on to. But today was a, a moment to just stop and, and take a step back and really just think about how unbelievable that guy was um, in, in his time with the Jets. Well, the first his first go around anyway. And we'll talk about that, and whether, and whether or not he's a Hall of Fame guy. There's a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of speculation. A lot of people feel like it's a it's a shoe in, it's a lock, but is it? You know, let's we'll talk about that a little bit, and we'll also touch on something Rich Samini threw out there the other day. <clears throat> and I like Rich Samini. I, I I I feel like I like most of the Jets beat writers more than most folks do. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm an older guy. It's uh, because I've, you know, seen so many years of of writing, and, and at some point, at least for me, just kind of came to the the understanding that these guys have jobs. They're out there to, you know, they're out there to sell papers, uh, to get clicks, and and you know, one important thing to think, and this is, you know, not 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 a hugely important thing, but when when you're talking about writers, whether it's Samini or Mato or Costello or whoever. These guys, a lot of times, these sensational headlines that are, you know, as we say, clickbait headlines, they don't even write those in many cases. A lot of times, the writer writes the article, and then it's up to the editor. It's up to someone else's job to come up with a catchy, you know, thought-provoking, eye-catching headline that makes you click it. So sometimes I laugh when I see people say, oh, the headline's misleading. It's another clickbait job by Manish. And... um Oftentimes, it's these writers will do their piece, they'll turn it in at their deadline, and then it's up to someone else to get you to click on it. So it's not even them. But anyway, enough about that. Who, that's, who cares about that right now? Football starting in a couple of days. All right, so let's, let, let's, I, I <clears throat> mentioned Darnold earlier. We'll talk about that briefly. Um, so Sam Darnold, not under contract yet. Camp's a couple of days away. Ian Rapport just shot out, and I saw him. Speak briefly on NFL Network. Doesn't get the sense that anyone in the Jets building is is really sweating the deal or the, the non-deal with Sam Darnold, which I completely understand. Uh, this isn't unusual for the Jets. I believe last year as well with Jamal Adams, got him signed the day before he was due to report, or the you know the day before the first team practice, I should say. And we'll probably see the same thing with Sam Darnold. The Jets just gave up multiple second-round picks to move up a couple slots and grab this guy. They're not going to screw around with it and let him hold out for, you know, or, or just not have him in camp for, for two, three weeks. It, it's just not going to happen. Even if there's some type of snag and he misses a day or two, it's not a big deal. You know, I've seen people say, yo, can, we can't let him miss one second. I know it feels that way. That's the emotional, you know, that's, that's the emotional outlook. But in all reality, you know, how, how many failed NFL quarterbacks are walking around right now going, man, if I had only been at that first day of practice and not reported on day two, everything would have been so much different. You know, it's, it, we, of course we want the guy there. Everybody wants him there. Nobody wants him to, you know, and we don't want him to miss one second. And, he, and I, I don't think he will. I don't think, you know, I've seen a few people say it. Is it time to worry? When's it time to worry? Why isn't Sam signed yet? Talk to me when the first practice hits. 
And if he's not under contract, I would be absolutely shocked. Um, so uh, even talking about missing a day or two, uh, we're not even going to see that. Not going to happen. The Jets will get it done. Darnold will get it done. He's going to be in camp day one when things kick off on the 27th. And uh, I, like many of you, can't wait. Uh, it should be an exciting time. And it's, you know, it's the, the begin of, beginning of what we hope will be uh, a great era of Jets football because, uh, as we all know, we've waited long enough. So, so hopefully he's the guy, and we'll, we'll get our first look shortly. So that's Darnold. That's, get that out of the way. Uh, just, just thought I'd start with that because I've seen quite a few people throw that question out there. You know, are you worried? Is it time to worry? When should we worry? Uh, I, I wouldn't. So then moving on to Darrell Rivas. He had his presser today, uh, had some support from former teammates, not as many as I, as I would have expected, but, you know, let's face it, a lot of these guys, they, you know, they, they, his ex-teammates have retired. They've moved on. They're not in the area. And it was unlikely, you know, how many guys are going to fly out to watch the Ralph speak for three or four minutes. Um, some some current players were there, uh, guys who just wanted to come out and check it out. Perry Nickerson, I saw, was there. Um, one one ex-teammate that was there, the, the Brickishaw Ferguson, managed to come out. And uh, just hang on for one second, bear with me, having some technical issues right here. We'll be right back with you. I believe we should be back now. I apologize for that. And uh, that reminds me, we're going to mess around with a couple of different audio things next week or in the coming week. So if there are any sound issues, we'll, we'll try to get that sorted out. I know the, uh, the, audio, the audio we've been using hasn't been the greatest. It's had some bad days. So we're going to try to work through that. But anyway, back to Darrell Rivas. So he, he comes in. He does, you know, they ask him the standard questions. Who's the toughest guy you defended? He said Randy Moss. And he regrets not winning the Super Bowl, you know, the AFC Championship game losses, which I think most Jets fans who, you know, who have been with this team for, for that long or who were fans at that time and, and waited a long time for the team to have even that level of success, those will obviously be games that will stick with you. Um, you know, Darrell, do you wish you had played your whole career with the Jets? Oh, of course I do. Listen, and this isn't, this isn't even a knock on Revis. Um, the only thing stopping guys from playing their entire career with a team is, is the guy, if he's not signing a deal. Um, now, you know, of course, of course it's a little bit different if you have a guy who's, uh, you know, valued at X amount and the team is, you know, like a Le'Veon Bell situation where a team is, is grossly underpaying. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, Darrell Rivas said he wanted to stay, spend his whole career as a Jet. The Jets made him, you know, competitive offer after competitive offer, during his holdouts, I don't. I'm not one to begrudge a player for holding out. Uh, the the Revis situation was unique in that he held out multiple times in a short time frame, and that you know that that's that's the biggest reason, in all honesty, um, why he was shipped out. Um, you know, he held out once as a rookie, held out again a couple years later after that holdout at the press conference announcing their new contract. Um, didn't dismiss the possibility of holding out again in a year or two. So the Jets had to move on from him. They did. 
and and even like I said, that that stuff is all irrelevant. I shouldn't have even bothered with that to be honest, because it, it, this is just an opportunity to look back and look at how how great Darrell Rivas was as a player, best player I've ever seen in a Jets uniform. Nobody, I've never seen a player go out and do their job as well as he did every single week. And when he was at the top of his game, I mean, it, it, you, you literally, you went into every game knowing that the other team's top receiver was basically may as well have taken the day off. Because if, if a guy topped 30 or 40 yards, that was an amazing day. You know, the, the occasional hiccup, which, you know, happens to everyone. I mean, how, how good do you have to be? Think think about what a good player you are, what, a, what an amazing career you had as a corner when team when a fan, the fans can sit down and probably remember the three or four times you got beat in a season. Like, you're that good. Stevie Johnson with Buffalo beat him a couple times. Randy Moss beat him a couple times. Really, you know, you know, in between the 2009, 2010, 2010 seasons, you rarely, rarely saw anybody beat Darrell Rivas for a big play. And I'm not even going to go over the list. You know, the, the Calvin Johnsons and <clears throat> Randy Moss and Terrell Owens and Charles, uh, Chad Johnson. and uh, we, We've all seen the list a million times. All you have to know is that the guy was an amazing player. And, you know, it, it's really a shame the Jets never won anything with him in green and white. But, you know, that wasn't in the cards. And really... If, if you look at the way he played his second time around, he just he just wasn't the same player. He's, he mentioned at his press conference today that, you know, he thinks that, that always shadowing the other team's number one receiver took its toll on his body. Um, whether or not that's the case, none of us will, will really know. I mean, listen, no matter who you're covering every week, I would imagine you're out there giving at least the majority of players, you're busting your ass. You know, you don't see guys saying, oh, I'm playing so-and-so this week, so I'm going to take the week off. Because the difference between good and great in the NFL is, uh, in, in any pro sport really, is, is a fine line. And if you take days off and take plays off against average players, then you're not going to be around very long. So, Revis obviously going into the ring of honor. And the next question becomes, is he a Hall of Famer? Is Darrell Revis, is he Canton bound? And a lot of people seem to have it in their minds that, He's a lock to do that. That he's absolutely going to Canton. I'm not. I'm not here to say I don't think he'll go to Canton. But the, the one thing that gives me pause is the length of time. Is is you know how how long was he an absolutely elite talent? And you could make the case that it was what four years. I mean, even you know his first couple years in the league, he was good. You know, he was as good as you would want to young first-round corner to be, but he really didn't become that otherworldly corner until 2009, right? And here we are with the 2018 season about to kick off, and he's retiring. So 2009, he hits that he sort of starts playing at that Hall of Fame level, and at what at what point in time was he no longer a Hall of Fame caliber player? Certainly wasn't last year or the year before that or the year before that. Was he Hall of Fame caliber in Tampa? I mean, he played one season. They miscast him. Is that on him? Is it the Raul Reeves' fault that, that he gets, you know, a square peg round hole? Did he 
he played a Hall of Fame level in New England, or was he just very good in New England? And even if he did, what what does that leave you with? We're saying he started playing at a Hall of Fame level nine years ago, and three years ago he wasn't anywhere near that good. So maybe five years, five years of, of top-notch performance. Let's say it's six. Let's say he was at Hall of Fame level in Tampa Bay and, and uh, in New England. Six years? It Like, where's the cutoff? And like I said, I'm not saying he's not. I'm just asking the question because, I, you know, I've, I've heard that for so many years. So many great players, you know, um, a completely different sport. But it always sticks with me because it was, you know, the first time I ever heard the argument was with former Yankee first baseman Don Mattingly. When it was, you know, does Mattingly get in the hall? Well, Mattingly was great for about five years. Then he had the back thing and he just he was an average to blow average hitter. Five years. Again, like I said, I know, different sport. But every time I think about a player's longevity not be, or the, the, the length of time a player spends at the top of his game not being enough to get in the hall, that's the first thing I always think of, Don Mattingly, right? So Darrell Rebus, is five, six years enough to get a guy into the hall? A lot of people seem to think so. And I, would have, I, I, I want him to get into the hall. There's not a lot of Jets in there. And I think that for the, the best player I've ever seen in my lifetime in green and white, you, you bet your ass I want to see him in the Hall of Fame. And I, honestly, I think he will get in. I think he will. But I think to say that a guy who, uh, a guy who had almost as many average to below average years, he had as many of those as he had great years. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know that he's, uh, I don't know that he goes strolling into Canton quite as easily as as some people expect. But the thing that helps him, New York, big market, big exposure. Cool nickname, you know, Revis Island. Everyone knows Revis Island. Kind of makes him stand out a little bit more. And maybe he does. Maybe he does get it on the first ballot. And, again, even that I wouldn't have a problem with. I think we're at a point now, whether it's, whether it's sports or politics, the second you say something other than exactly what other people are thinking, they, they assume that you're against what they're thinking. So, I, like I said, I don't think it's that Darrell Revis doesn't belong in. With any player, anytime I see a guy get in who's only got a short, short time frame of dominance, I'm always, I'm always a little bit surprised. Terrell Davis, did Terrell Davis really belong in the Hall of Fame? You know, that, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. A little bit different with him. He had the injuries. But at the end of the day, what you did on the field is what you did on the field. And when you do it for, you know, a handful of years, I always think it's interesting to see if a guy still gets in. So in the end, I think Darrell Rivas does get in, but do I think he's uh, do I think he's the 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 absolute lock first ballot guy? I don't. If I had a guess, I'd say no. But I wouldn't be shocked if I was wrong about that. I mean, hell, she'd never be shocked if you're wrong about anything, right? Who the hell's got all the answers? Anyway, speaking of answers. Let's take a look. Let's uh, let's take some time here now. It, 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 you know, I'm I'm so I'm so pumped up about training camp that there's a part of me that feels like if I end the show quicker, training camp will get here quicker. Like that, like when you're a kid and you want to go to bed early on Christmas, so it'll get here faster. So 
So, no, I'm not going to end the show right now. But uh, that, that's that feeling I have. Like, damn, I just want the next hour and that hour and the next hour and the next hour. You want them to fly by, get to Florham Park, and uh, start reporting on what's going on out there. But we're going we're gonna to go over some battles, some, some, some training camp battles, from the big names and the big battles to the, uh, to the side stuff, to the, the backup stuff. And starting, starting at the top, right? Everybody wants to talk about the quarterbacks. It's the, big, it's the story of the offseason, and it's going to be the story of the season. Sam Darnold, Josh McCown, Teddy Bridgewater. How does this thing play out? L- looking, looking at the way the Jets have handled things now, and looking at, even though this team is, has improved dramatically, you know, no, nobody at one Jets drive is sitting there looking at this roster and thinking, yeah, we're going to the Super Bowl. Nobody's thinking that. So with an eye toward the future, I think that I think the surprise here, well, surprise to some, I think Sam Darnold has a much, much better shot to win this starting job than some people believe. I think that if you look at what the Jets are doing with him in terms of putting a lot on his plate, seeing how well he can handle it, I think that's, I think that's an indicator that they're just they're just going to test this guy and see if he's got if he's got what it takes. Do they you know do they start him? And and I think I I think they not, not just willing to I think they want him to win this competition. They want him to play well enough to be able to justify starting him from day one. And you know I've I've seen some talk this off season about you know the Jets came out and commented and said that they didn't feel like they were going to mess with his mechanics this year. There's enough on his plate. We're gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna screw with that. And some people were for that. Some people were against it. I, I feel like most people were against it. And I understand that. I understand looking at that and saying, how do you not want to work with his mechanics? He's got some flaws. But at the same time, again, keeping in mind this team isn't expecting to win a Super Bowl. If if their priority is going to be, let's spend this season letting him learn the offense, execute the offense and adjust to the speed of the game, which we say it all the time, you hear from players all the time, the biggest thing is that college-to-pro adjustment in how fast the players are. Let Sam Darnold worry about that, getting, getting there mentally, and then, this, and then between year one and two, this next offseason, working on his mechanics becomes priority number one. And then he comes into year two with – Having gotten all the mental, well, not you know, he he's not going to be all the way there after year one, obviously. But if he can just, you, you can, I what I'm what I'm saying here is you can only do so much at once. You can't say we're going to teach you a million new things, and oh by the way, while you're learning it, we also want you to be concentrating on your arm angle, your arm slot, your footwork. If the Jets will want to look at his film and go, Jesus, this guy's sloppy. But you know what? He gets the ball where it's supposed to be, when it's supposed to be there, often enough, frequently enough, that we're willing to live with the hiccups that are going to come with that. It's going to lead to some mistakes. It's going to lead to some incomplete passes. It's going to lead to some turnovers. We get it. But let's focus on letting this kid play at the pro level and worrying about getting his job done. And then this offseason, attack the other issue which again is the mechanics. That's no one's saying I don't. I don't believe they're going to ignore his mechanics, but 
but I just I think they've made it clear it's not going to be a huge point of emphasis, which I don't again I don't hate. It's it's this is a you know, it's not a sprint, this is a marathon. And if they want to take it easy and say, We'll worry about that stuff later, let's let this kid learn the offense, let's let's let him adjust to the speed of the game and uh and worry about the, the mechanical stuff later. I have zero issue with that because by by trying to add that in at the same time, you're going to slow the other stuff down. You know, this kid's going to have enough going on mentally that if you can take a little bit off his plate to make it that much easier to, to make the adjustment, I don't really have a problem with that. So you, it's going to be Darnold, it's going to be McCown, and Teddy Bridgewater, we've talked about it a million times, is he still going to be on the roster, you know, later in the, later this season? Personally, I, I don't see it happening. Someone messaged me earlier, uh, you know, in a few different Jets groups, and someone messaged and said, I think he goes to, you know, I think he goes to Jacksonville for uh, for Dante Fowler at some point. Wouldn't I think we talked about that earlier this offseason. Wouldn't surprise me one bit if Teddy Bridgewater plays well for a couple of weeks and another team's quarterback goes down or gets hurt, or maybe, you know, that that's talking in terms of the preseason. I think they move Bridgewater for a pick or a pass rusher. Now, if you're Jack, Jacksonville, is it's they're an obvious target. The Jacksonville Jaguars. As, I mean, it, as much as it, it kind of sucks to say it, if the Jets were to take Teddy Bridgewater and move him for a guy like Fowler, you send him to Jacksonville. I would not be the least bit surprised if Teddy Bridgewater is holding up a Lombardi Trophy at the end of the year. I really wouldn't. But that's that's not something the Jets can worry about because the, that Jacksonville Jaguars defense is just insane. That's that's going to be a top two or three de- top two or three um, rated defense when all is said and done. So you give them a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, and if Teddy Bridgewater can stay healthy, keep completing sixty five percent of his passes and keeping his turnovers down, he's going to be a better option than Blake Bortles, and he's going to be a guy who can who could absolutely win a Super Bowl with that Jaguars roster. So whether it's the Jags or someone else that maybe loses a quarterback. I don't see why, you know, the Jet, if you're a team that needs a quarterback, I think the first team you're calling is the Jets because how many other teams have a young mid-20s quarterback with playoff experience, um, you know, who who played quality football and and and, and have, have such a quarterback who is available via trade? It just isn't something you see very often. It's a rare instance. So I think that's why the Jets would become, you know, the, again, teams are going to have the Jets on speed dial if something happens to their quarterback in training camp or in the opening weeks of the season. Josh McCown, of course, ideal mentor, had himself a nice season last year. And I saw an interesting number on him the other day. Uh, someone, It was a former ESPN guy who, who, who breaks down every quarterback in the league and talks about getting some of the numbers that not everybody looks at. It's Kyan Fahey, I think is his name. And he said that by his count, and this is a legit guy. This isn't like random Twitter observer guy who's just pulling stuff out of thin air. Um, He was doing some of his own work independently. He was hired by ESPN. And then had an incident. I don't know what it was. It's 2018. Everyone's got a damn incident. Anything anyone does upsets somebody. Somebody's crying, somebody's emotional, somebody's offended. I don't know what he did. I'm not, and if you know what he did and it was terrible, don't tell me I'm being a, 
an idiot for dismissing it because I honestly, everyone does something every day. I've lost track. I don't know what I don't know what any what everyone's done. I just know everyone's been fired. Um, so the, this guy is sort of in that camp, but he was doing some good work, some Q, some good QB evaluation stuff. ESPN hired him on, and then uh, he said or did something that hurt someone's feelings. He got fired. Um, but I'm again, I'm just from a credibility standpoint in terms of observing quarterbacks and talking about their production. And he said that uh, the number I believe was that Josh McCown took 22 sacks last year that were his fault. Um, and that's a high number. I mean, the Jets' O line was bad. We know that. We've talked about that. But I guess in breaking down the film, um, it, it looked as if he took at least 22 sacks that could have been avoided by either throwing the ball away. Um, or just not holding on to the ball so long. So, you, you know, you look at a guy like McCown who had the year he had, could have been even better, you know, and nobody's saying that he – nobody's saying Josh McCown was, a, you know, a Hall of Fame player last year, just just that he was pretty damn good. And sometimes pretty damn good is pretty damn good, right? I mean, look, we we know – we Jets fans know as well as anyone what bad quarterback play looks like. We've seen enough of it. So the only you know the point I'm making there is that you have Josh McCown coming in for competing for this job, and he had a nice year last year, and could he win this job out of camp? I mean anybody could win the job. I, I wouldn't. There, it's not. This isn't a situation where you've got one guy who's one or two guys who are so far ahead of a third guy that you can't imagine a third guy winning it. If any one of these guys won the job, it wouldn't surprise me. But I think. I think they're going to give Sam Darnold every opportunity. I think if I think if Teddy Bridgewater, and I, I think I said this a few weeks ago, if he plays lights out, I wouldn't be shocked if they said, you know what, screw it, let's go with Teddy for two, three weeks. And if Teddy continues to play as well as he did in the preseason, then we can move him for a first or second rounder. I, and, you know, that, that that's all debatable. I know I talked about that with Manish a couple weeks ago. Manish said he thought, you know, maybe third or fourth rounder because of the contract you'd have to give up. Um, we'll see how that plays out. I think if you're a team that needs a franchise guy, um, you give up what you have to give up to get him, and you pay what you have to pay to sign him. You can't expect the team to take less compensation because you have to pay, uh, you know, for, it, again, w- with that position when you're talking about quarterback. So n- nobody wouldn't be surprised if anybody won it, but I'm going I'm to say Donald wins it. I'm going to say they give him every chance, and he does enough to show that uh, – that he's ready to take on an NFL offense and, and start to grow from day one. Now, who's he going to be handing it off to in the backfield? It's going to be between newcomer Isaiah Crowell, who, uh, who's, who's been a good player. You know, he, he's an underrated guy, probably has a lot to do with the fact that he's coming from Cleveland. But if you look at his last two years with the Browns, and the, the Browns, say what you will about the Browns and how bad they've been, one thing the Browns could do the last couple of years is they could run block. They have a pretty good offensive line, pretty good, pretty good line up front. So it's not as if he's playing behind an old line that just can't can't open up a hole. Um, he he does a nice job. He's averaged he's averaged four I want to say four point four six a carry over the last two years. Two years ago he, was, he averaged four point eight, and then I believe four point one or four point two this year. So Isaiah Crowell, and then Bilal Powell, those are going to be the two guys that they, they're going to split carries and, and running back really. At this day and age, unless you have a Todd Gurley or an Ezekiel Elliott, where there's only so many of those guys out there, 
Leonard Fournette, you know, you're, you're going to have – it's almost irrelevant who your starter is because the split between a Crowell and a Powell, would anyone, would anyone be surprised if, if it was almost 50-50, maybe 60-40, that type of thing, and then a little bit of Elijah McGuire sprinkled in here and there? Who, you know, is it, for those of you who listen to the show, you know I'm a big McGuire guy. Um, I would love to see him play well and 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 get even more carries. You know, be a bigger part of the offense this year. But but the battle at running back, it's uh, it's worth noting only because we don't know who the starter will be. But at the same time, I, I don't think we're going to see anyone get such such you know such such a large bulk of the carries that that any of the other backs are going to be you know snubbed or upset or whatever. Um, you know, you still have Trenton Cannon to consider is, is in terms of making the roster. He's not going to start. He may not even make the roster. If he does, it's, you know, the way he makes the roster is if he excels as a return man, uh, punt returner, kick returner, that's something the Jets had him work on in camp. Most observers said that there was a noticeable difference from from OTAs to minicamp and his ability to return punts. That's going to be his, you know, he wants to get his foot in the door. That's going to have to happen. But he's not going to win a starting job. But, he, you know, he's one of those guys, again, Talking in terms of guys trying to make a ro- get, win a roster spot, that's where Trenton Cannon comes into play, and he'll probably could be you know he'll have a few guys who'll compete with at the punt returner, kick returner spot, but I think the fact that he's the fact that you have a guy who's a recent draft pick and is as explosive as he is, you know when you got that that fifth gear, that sixth gear, I think the Jets are going to want to find a way to keep him around, but between Powell and Crowell, uh, I would I would go ahead and say Crowell gets the nod as starter. But I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. I think we're going to see them split carries. And I think that when all is said and done, they're going to use all three backs pretty regularly. And it's going to be, you know, whoever the, run, whoever the running back is for this offense, whoever's getting the bulk of the carries, um, and, he, and even the backup, in all reality, there should be plenty of room for these guys to work with. We talked about it quite a bit this offseason in terms of the room that the tight end should have to work with. Because of the fact that you're going to have these, these, you know, so many, so many receivers who can do so many different things, that uh, defenses are going to have to back off a little bit and respect these guys. That's going to open. That's going to mean, you know, fewer eight-man fronts, which is, you know, as I said with with Crowell, that's that's sort of what he's had to deal with in Cleveland with the with the quarterback play they've had there. But he's still been a productive guy, so he should see fewer defenders in the box than he has in recent years, as will Bilal Powell. And I think both of those guys can be uh, really effective runners in an offense where there should be plenty of downfield threats to to back things off a little bit and give them some softer looks. And now, full, now staying in the backfield, but moving on to fullback, you don't see a lot of fullback battles in the NFL nowadays. It's uh, you know it's sort of a, a dinosaur position. Not everybody carries one, but I think the Jets will this year. Last year we saw Lawrence Thomas, the former uh, Michigan State defensive end, defensive lineman, get moved to fullback. And, you know, it was a nice story. And on the occasions that he was able to square up and put a helmet on somebody, he, you know, he was like a wrecking ball out of that backfield. But uh, his inexperience, maybe partly due to his size, you know, 270, 280, whatever he's checking in at, maybe he doesn't have the agility. Um, you didn't see the great blocking frequently enough. When you did see it, it was, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, really, when a guy that big can get his hands on a guy that – you know, maybe a, a linebacker who he who he outweighs by, you know, forty fifty pounds and lay into him and make, and open up a hole. That's good stuff. 
but if it's not happening frequently enough, is you know, what are the odds of sticking in that job again when the Jets have well the Jets also have Dimitri Flowers, undrafted free agent fullback out of Oklahoma. Now we talked about him immediately after the draft and and, and a lot of sites did. You know, wasn't any anyone who was paying attention before the draft um and saw that signing kind of looked and went, That's the guy who can make the roster. That's the guy who can you know, the when you when you're looking at your undrafted free agent class, who can find a way to stick? Who can, you know, earn a roster spot? Maybe get some playing time. That Dimitri Flowers, that's your guy. Uh, he's he's nowhere near as big as Lawrence Thomas, but just better all-around player out of the backfield. Really good hands. Really good hands. He's a big part of what Baker Mayfield was able to do in Oklahoma. So I think that's one battle that, you know, if, I, if I'm making an early pick, I'm taking Flowers with that one, and I think that. In a West Coast offense, where again, keep saying it, should be a lot of room to work with underneath. He's a guy, you know, you get him, a, you get him over the middle, you let him leak out of the backfield, wait for some safeties to back up to cover the deep, you know, the deep back end of the field, and uh, and give him some room to run, get him to the outside, swing screens, whatever you want to do. He's a guy who's got really good hands. He can make people miss, and uh, could be a you know a solid part of this offense. And if he do, if he doesn't beat out. Uh, if he if he doesn't beat out Thomas, then I'd I'd be really, you know, if he doesn't beat out Lawrence Thomas, I'd be shocked. I really think he's the guy who can who can make this team and and you know make some noise for himself. And staying on offense, not really going to tight end. Sorry, wide receivers. You know, God, a lot of good ones. Not really a lot to cover there. You know, in the top four or five. You know, our Darius Stewart, of course. Um, actually, you should throw that out there. He of course had his. Uh, Got a two-game suspension for peds uh, or masking agent, and all that's going to do basically is give the Jets a couple of weeks to keep him around and evaluate the other receivers on the roster, see if he's better than any of them that they kept, and they can either cut ties with him or bring him back in and let him fill in for whatever receiver isn't getting it done. But, yeah, if we're going to talk about, you know, again, talking about guys who are fighting for roster spots and not just starting jobs, that would be our Darius Stewart. So, but he's battling. He's really battling himself at this point. Um, and it's, you know, Chad Hansen, I think, has clearly passed him and, and has looked the part thus far. So I think from top to bottom, you're looking at Robbie Anderson, Jermaine Curse, Quincy Inunua, Terrell Pryor. Um, I'll leave anybody out. I think that, I think I covered everybody um, in terms of, you know, the guys that will be in front of Hansen and Stewart. I know there's some talk about Roberts. Uh, Johnson, the kid that played with Minnesota a couple years ago, Kind of tough to overlook him because he played well with uh, Teddy Bridgewater and another real speed demon, but, you know, you, you can only keep so many receivers. They're not carrying eight receivers, uh, but they have a lot of good ones in camp. So n- not a ton of storylines because I feel like that I, I feel like we're down to, with what they have on the roster, you're going to have a lot of guys battling for one spot. And I think our Darius Stewart, even with the drug thing, uh, probably has the upper hand as the recent draft pick. So guys like Sharon Peak probably aren't going to make the roster, and that's going to be a it's going to be a, a loaded loaded wide receiver room. But tight end, much bigger question mark there, because unlike receiver, where you have four, five, six guys that you you feel like are locks to make the roster, tight end is a complete toss up at this point. Clive Wolford, who was brought in from Oakland, is you know appears to be you know despite and I mentioned this on a recent show, I can't remember if it was last week. But he appears to be the guy who uh, it's assumed that he's going to be the odd man out because they like the young guys they have. And not that Wolfer is old. 
He's only been in the league three years. But the the big battle that's going to be probably, I, I would imagine, is going to be won by Herndon. you got Chris Herndon, this year's rookie draft pick out of Miami, and then Jordan Leggett, who was drafted last year out of Clemson. I really think, I really think uh, Herndon wins this battle. I think he's a guy, I, I think his, abil- his ability to be a multidimensional, every-down guy, I talked about that when he was drafted, I talked about that every, you know, every time we bring it up. Because, you know, I've been saying for years that I'm, you know, I understand the game has evolved and, you know, it's more big, fast, athletic tight ends, but I still want a guy who can do it all. I still want a guy who's not a liability, a.k.a. Austin Safarian Jenkins, a.k.a. Jeff Cumberland, you know, in the, in, the, in the passing game, the run game. When you line these guys up to block and, and they just get completely blown up or ragdolled, that, that to me is you, you're, just, you're just shooting yourself in the foot and setting yourself up for failure. So while Leggett has some really, really impressive perceiving skills, I think that I think Herndon's a guy who can do more as a blocker. He can line up at H-back. He's not afraid to stick his face in the fan, and he's going to be a more capable guy in that area. So he's, he's the one I, w- I, w- I would look for Herndon to win that job, and I think Eric Tomlinson sticks because of the fact that he's the best blocker on the roster. So when you want to go to those jumbo packages or when you want to, you know, we saw him play a little bit of fullback last year, not much, but he does have a little bit of versatility. And he's been a decent enough receiver when he gets a shot. He doesn't get a lot of looks, but when he does, he he holds on to the football. So when you have a guy who does, you know, does a lot of things well, nothing great, um, you know, a very good blocker and a good enough receiver, It's again, it's just a multidimensional guy. It's that guy that while he's on the field, Opposing defenses can't look at him and say, well, we know he's not going to do X, Y, Z, because if he does, we're going to beat him easily. Um, you know, again, whether it's a Zafarian Jenkins blocking or, or um, why can't I think of, uh, who who is that atrocious tight end from a few years ago? Can't even remember his name, Michigan State guy. Uh, doesn't even matter. When, you know, one of the many, oh, Kellen Davis. Kellen Davis, couldn't think of his name. You know, you knew Kellen Davis wasn't going to catch a ball and beat you. And you knew Jeff Cumberland wasn't gonna wasn't gonna throw a great block and beat you. Nor was Austin Safarian Jenkins. So, give me these multi-dimensional guys every day of the week. Guys that bring more to the table than just one tool, and that's uh, that's what Herndon does, and really Tomlinson to a degree, at least in comparison to Leggett, who, again, should be a good receiver, or could could has the tools to be a good receiver, but the, at least in college didn't look like he had the mentality to be a blocker. And as they say all the time, you know, that's blocking. It's, it, it's a mental thing as much as it's physical, especially when you're a skilled player. Uh, some guys just are are not not willing to, to mix it up in the trenches. And from what we've seen from Leggett, at least in his college days, he was one of those guys. Odds of that changing at this point, I would say, are slim. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I think that Herndon wins that job over Leggett. But hopefully, you know, hey, hopefully both of them are productive. And uh, moving to the offensive line now, we know, you know, left tackle, we know Kelvin Beecham's the starter. And not, not a ton of competition for the backup spot, I think. Well, I shouldn't, when I say not a ton, it's, uh, you know, it, it's not blatantly obvious, I guess is what I should say, that who's going to win it. Because you have Ben Ijelon, who's got some experience at left and right tackle. But Antonio Garcia is an intriguing guy. We've talked about it. Everyone's talked about it. Second, you know, second-year guy out of Troy, cut by the Patriots after spending a year on IR with them. 
uh, had blood clots in his lungs. There were reports that he lost all kinds of weight. Then when he came to the Jets, he said, uh, not, not exactly true. He's put on about 10 more pounds. So whatever the story, if, if he's healthy, if Antonio Garcia is healthy, man, could, I mean, how often do the Jets catch a break like that? Like, that just doesn't happen. Imagine this guy at left tackle pans out and he takes over for Kelvin Beecham in a year or two. Uh, the, re- the reason I'm doubtful on Garcia is the run blocking. I know that, you know, you look, you know, perfect example to Brickishaw Ferguson. To Brickishaw Ferguson was never Ferguson was never a great run blocker, but if you can protect the blind side, you're going to have yourself a job. And Garcia, that you know, that's something we saw from him at Troy. That's something that it's it's a re, that's the reason why the the New England Patriots traded up to get him when they did. But clearly, as we've said on this show, and another another topic that was covered uh, a couple weeks ago, for those of you who missed it. With Manish made a you know Manish made a great point and just said you know he's he's convinced and it does make sense. He says he's convinced that uh, it was it was the health that the, that the New England Patriots coaching staff, medical staff was just not willing to clear him to play. Um, the Jets staff obviously was. They brought him in, felt happy with what they saw, and they and they added him to the roster. So there's your bat, your battle for the, for the backup left tackle spot in in Garcia and Ajalana. But you have to like what you've got in Beecham. Again, as I've said a million times, he's not a dominant guy, but he's a guy that you can get away with having there at left tackle for another year or two. And my biggest concern on the old line in terms of the backup jobs lies at center. And I'm going to tell you why. And I, I think we've talked about this not not in great detail. But you bring in Spencer Long, who has been a a average to above average player for the Redskins at center. Okay, he's had the injury history, missed eight games last year. He seems to miss a couple games every year, with some serious injuries, some not so serious injuries. Now, the problem there is that if he goes down, it's ugly with the backup situation. Do you want? You know, if, if, let's say this team's competing hypothetically. Let's say whoever's playing quarterbacks playing well enough. Teams, you know, you're sitting at five and four, six and five, somewhere along those lines. Spencer Long goes down, and now all of a sudden you've got to turn to Travis Swanson or Jonathan Harrison. Like, do either one of those guys? Are you, are you comfortable with either one of those guys? I'm. I'm certainly not. Because based on what I saw on film from Travis Swanson when the Jets signed him, even before they signed him, was not encouraging. He looked he looked more he looked a lot more like Wesley Johnson than he did, you know, an average player, a player of long stature even. And when I saw how bad he looked, I you know, popped on a PFF there and looked where they had him and he he was only five or six spots ahead of Wesley Johnson. So Travis Swanson, if the Jets are lucky, he won't even make this roster. Because if he does, that means nobody stepped up as the backup center. Jonathan Harrison stepped in last year for Wesley Johnson when he got hurt, and he he was he just wasn't very good. You know, let's let's be honest. So you have two guys, at least you know hypothetically, we don't know what the hell the Jets depth chart looks like inside their building right now. We can we can pretend we do. But uh, let's just speculate, okay? Let's let's assume the two veterans are the are the two and three behind Long, in in Harrison and Swanson. You better hope somebody else steps up. 
they better hope there's another guy in that roster who can play center um, and play it well enough to put themselves in position to take that job away, you know, or to to win that that backup job, because those guys, I mean, that that would be an ugly situation, you know. Ben Braden, the second year guy out of Michigan. I don't know if the, I don't know if he's played center, but uh, and. I don't want to say for sure. I feel like I remember seeing that he got some reps in training camp at center or at mini camp, but honestly don't hold me to that. Um, not 100% sure because he, he's a guy, I'm not sure how well suited he is to play, uh, to, play, to play in his own scheme, really. He's not the most agile guy, more of a mauler, but we'll have to wait and see what happens there. There's not, the cupboard is bare in terms of uh, depth at center. And even, you know, even a guy like Dakota Dozier, who was mentioned, you know, we've talked about him, how he's played a little bit of center. He was listed as Nick Mangold's backup a couple years ago. Um, but then, of course, as soon as Nick Mangold got hurt, they uh, they went to Wesley Johnson, and uh, Dozier became the guard or the backup to Johnson. And that was two years ago when Wesley Johnson miraculously was added to the 53-man roster and played not terribly. Uh, that That obviously changed last year. But... It's 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 not pretty beyond Spencer Long. That's an ugly situation. Then at defensive end, that's the next spot we're going to touch on because there's a a battle that and and even really not even not even sure we we call it a battle because both these guys are going to play, right? Henry Anderson and Nathan Shepard. You got the both young guys. One acquired for a seventh round pick. The other one chosen with a third round pick. They rotated in and out at, uh, during minicamp this season, opposite Leonard Williams. You know, plenty of plenty of young defensive linemen on this roster, but though that's the battle that's worth watching in terms of, like as I said, yes, they're both going to see reps there, but uh, but who's going to get the lion's share? Who's going to be the day one starter? Who's going to be the one getting the most opportunities? Um, uh, that 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 one's a toss up for me, because I feel like if Henry Anderson is healthy, then I don't see. I don't see how he doesn't win that job based on the fact that Todd Bowles, as we know, loves his veterans. Um, but at the same time, if Shepard stands out and Shepard, you know, he's, he's the more, the more recent, the third rounder who a lot of people feel like could be a day one starter. And I, I wouldn't, I, I would, I would pick, I would say Anderson, if he returns to form, if he plays the way he did a couple of years ago for the Colts, I think he wins that job. I think if he slips and he doesn't look like the same player, then I think we see Nathan Shepard win that position, uh, win that spot. <laughs> Corner, well, we know the starters, right? Tremaine Johnson on one side, Morris Claiborne on the other, Buster Screen probably your slot guy. And beyond that, I think the, the biggest thing to keep in mind is that somebody is going to have to step up because you cannot go into a season and not expect Morris Claiborne to miss significant time. And I know he didn't miss significant time last year, but he played hurt and it affected his play. He played poorly for a stretch late in the year after he had his injury. And just about every year he's been in the league, he has either missed large chunks of time or played for extended periods of time with injuries. So that's where... You have a guy, you know, in, in a rookie, in Perry Nickerson, who as much as he's suited to play the slot and as much as there was 
heavy speculation that he would be the slot guy, Todd Bowles said, and, and I don't, you know, sometimes sometimes it's, uh, it's a bit of posturing. It's a little bit of just kind of just throwing out an answer for the sake of giving an answer. Because most coaches, not just Todd Bowles, they don't, they don't enjoy the meeting with the media and answering a million questions. But he said that uh, he sees Nickerson as a guy they could play on the outside. And that, that could become an interesting battle because if you're the Jets and you have Buster Screen on the inside and you have you know, Tremaine Johnson locking down one side and Morris Claiborne on the other and there's an injury, you've got to decide whether it's Buster Screen or Perry Nickerson who gets elevated to that two spot. And you would automatically think Screen because he's the older vet, the experienced guy. But I think if Perry Nickerson can stand out, if he can play well enough in camp, he's a guy who's got a shot. Uh, you know, electric speed, ball hawk, you know, nose for the ball, all that stuff you look for. And, Jet, you know, Jets fans would like to see nothing more than for him to, to step up and sort of live up to that hype that, that they came out. You know, if you listen to PFF after the draft, they want to say that they had him as like a, a top ten corner in the country. And, that, you know, if that's the case and they, you know, if they're even close to that, if you can get a guy who can perform at that level and you get him that late in the draft, the sixth round, that's uh, that, that's kudos to your scouting department. That's a great job by them. And uh, <clears throat> then it comes down to um, we, we're going to wind things down here with uh, with just a quick note. Special teamers, kickers. As we know, Catanzaro gone after after this past season. Said that he wanted to go kick somewhere warm. I know I was uh, I wasn't thrilled to see that they didn't invite Ross Martin back. For those of you who were listening to the show this time last year or during camp last year, you would have heard myself and and Joe Blewett uh, talking about Ross Martin as a guy who we thought deserved to win the job, and he didn't. And Catanzaro got it. He spent a year here. Did a decent job. Uh, Martin is now a member of the Browns. And Bertolet is a guy who's a rookie out of Texas A&M. And Santos is a fifth-year guy out of Tulane. And I think I think Santos wins it. The Jets like their vets. Part of the reason I think Catanzaro got the job last year. You know, if uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he won. He got the job last year based largely on the fact that. He was a veteran guy who Todd Bowles trusted. So despite the protest of myself and Joe, uh, that didn't happen. We didn't that never uh that never really panned out or in terms of Ross Martin getting that job. So we're gonna uh just a little bit more to wrap up here, but we are gonna go to the phones. <clears throat> we do have a caller who wants to uh wants to talk some jets, calling in from a four oh seven area code. Caller, you're online, what do you got for us? Hey Glenn, how you doing? It's uh, Richard. Hey Richard, how you doing? Long time no speak. I know. I I I apologize. I do try to get in as much as I can, but you know, uh, I'm grateful for the podcast. Yeah, what do you got for us tonight, man? Um, well, you know, I, I was pretty excited to to find out that you um, I've been trying to to uh, attend you know, down there at Florham Park, but unfortunately I I don't have a lot of information as far as, um, you know, good places to go, maybe uh, hotels and all that stuff to stay at. I was figured maybe you, you may have the insight on that. 
I like to definitely bring my son over so he can enjoy uh, training camp a little bit. Well, uh, that that's the tricky thing this year. Do, do you have the tickets already? Uh, no, I wish I did, no. Yeah, the thing this year, and I talked with some folks about it earlier, was a little bit of a story when the, when the training camp schedule was announced. And a lot of this has to do with the um, the Jets going to Washington or down to Virginia to practice with the Redskins for a few days. The Jets only have three sessions open to the public this year. And mm-hmm. unless I'm mistaken, all of those tickets are gone. There are no there, there are sure no that. tickets available. Sorry? Oh, I see. No, that's fine. Yeah, they uh, I, I, they they basically I think I think what's hurting them is that if you look at the way the the training camp schedule is laid out, after that Falcons game on the 10th or 11th or whatever it is, they uh they have a day off and then they travel down to Washington and they practice down there for 3 days with the Redskins and then they play the Redskins and then they have another day off. So they basically have a 10-day stretch in the middle of camp where there are no practices at Florham Park. Um, so when you only have like 20 some practices to begin with, and then 10 of them get cu- 10 days worth get cut out, I think that's why we saw the 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 number of practices open to the general public so dramatically cut this year. And it, and it's a shame because the fans do love coming out there. Um, I know that the, the you know yeah. folks get fired up and it's a good time, and especially now with Darnold on board. You know, I know before the camp schedule came out, I kind of thought to myself that you know wow this this training camp is going to be crazy this year. That you know they're going to be Seats are going to be full every time it's open to the public. And then, lo and behold, the schedule comes out and there's only three. Um, what I will say, though, um, I don't know what the what the ticket situation is looking like, but they are going to have the green and white scrimmage at Rutgers on the 4th of August this year. It's not going to be at MetLife, but at, uh, at the stadium at Rutgers, there's going to be the green and white scrimmage on August 4th at 7 or 7.30. So there may still be some tickets available for that. Okay, well, I'll look, I'll look into it. Well, I, I appreciate it. And, I well, I appreciate the time, and uh, you guys, you know, do an awesome job. So, you know, keep up the good work. I'm just trying to trying to figure it out since I've never been. So, and I'm going to have to fly in, obviously, because I'm, I'm out of town. I'm not local anymore, just like you are. But, you know, so I was just trying to get a heads up on, you know, how that how it works in that area. I've never been up to Palm Park, whatever. Yeah, and, and if you do, if you get there this year somehow or if you're able to get there next year, uh, plenty of hotels in the area, plenty of good restaurants. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, spending a few nights up there. I, I generally, when I'm out, I stay in PA with family because, uh, you know, the hotels would add up over the course of 10 days. You know, you'd, you'd be looking at a, a couple thousand dollars if you stayed, you know, near the facility. So uh, it, it's, uh, I mean, if you shop early enough, you'll probably get yourself some good deals. But And the the, uh, the team hotel isn't far away, but that's usually booked up because of, you know, players and staff and things like that. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 a good time out there. I will tell you for anyone who's going out this year, next year, make sure you bring bring a damn boonie hat, bring some type of shade, because you sit in those bleachers. There is no shade out there, and you will you will melt um, on a July August summer day out there. But uh, hopefully you're able to get out there, man. Any any Jets questions for me while we got you here? Uh, not other than you know what I brought up on Twitter was the one, um, you know how heavy. You know, we'll be. You know, we got a lot of players and that have some good talent. They have, you know, potential to to develop into um, to good players. Obviously, they made it to the pros. They they got drafted for a reason, or they got brought in by a free agency or whatever. It's just you know the way we have. You know, we talk about the players like you did last week, and I, I just recently listened to the podcast, and you you, you numbered the players, and most of them was due to injury and all that stuff, whatever. 
but, you know, I, I think when it comes to the O-line and the D-line and, and, and the cornerback and, you know, skill positions or whatever, I, 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 I want to put the onus a lot on coaching and, and how well, you know, the coaching can put these can put, you know, you don't want to make somebody do something that they can't do or whatever. And how, how big is that for the coaching staff to realize what they have, what they can do, and then put them in a scheme that, you know, that'll work for them and maximize their potential. Yeah, well, you know, that's the funny thing with, with a lot of with a lot of uh, NFL coaching staffs. And I know that, people, you know, every, everyone's an expert, you know, Monday morning quarterback and all that stuff. It's easy to say after the fact how this and that unfolded. But it does feel like you see a lot of a lot of staffs. The Jets do it. Um, of course, the team that never seems to do it is the Patriots. But you you always see teams sort of doing the whole square peg and a round hole thing, where they're trying to get a guy to do something he's not very good at, and they try to force the issue, and they end up cutting the guy, and you know, and, and then he finds success elsewhere where where a staff figures out how to use him. Um, but you know, the the thing the thing that's encouraging with this staff, um, some guys some guys on this staff that have that are really accomplished, who have done some good things. Um, you know, Denard Wilson comes to mind as a, his second year as the DB coach. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, I know some people don't want to hear it because a lot of people have a lot of disdain for Buster Screen because of the penalties. But, you know, with Denard Wilson on board, Buster Screen had his best year as a Jet last year. He was inconsistent. He had some terrible games. But um, he had some games where he looked like a completely different player um, and was lights out. So hopefully in year two with Wilson, we see that sort of continue. Um, in terms of developing young guys, um, I look at a guy like Carl Durrell, you know, the receivers coach, who he's done, you know, when you look at the number of young receivers who have played well um, and veteran receivers who have played well under Carl Durrell since his arrival, you know, whether we're talking about Robbie Anderson or Brandon Marshall or Eric Decker, you know, Jermaine Curse last year had a career year. So and you know now we're hearing that Hanson and you know Hanson anyway looks to be coming along. Um, you have to like what Carl Durrell has done with the receivers he's had. You know especially when you look at Sanjay Lal who he took over for. Sanjay Lal is one of those guys. It's just a mystery when you look at a guy whose job is to coach receivers, and he's been in the league for like a decade, and you can't find a good receiver he's coached. You, you wonder how in the world that happens. But it's it's the exact opposite with Carl Durrell. He's done a really nice job. You know Quincy Nunwai actually left him out. So he's done a really nice job with uh, with the young receivers. Kevin Green, of course, with the with the outside linebackers. Unfortunately, he doesn't have a ton to work with. But but I think there are some good coaches here. And and you're right. You know the, these guys. The, you know, of course, the one place they can't get it wrong this year and over the next couple of years is with Darnold. I think Jeremy Bates is a guy who worries a lot of fans. Um, if you didn't have a chance, and this isn't you know I'm not trying to plug tell people to go back and listen to a full episode, but if you go back to a couple weeks ago when we had Manish Mehta on and we talked about Jeremy Bates, um, he gave about the best answer I could have hoped for. Um, you know, spoke for five, six, seven minutes on Bates and how he's viewed around the league and people he's spoken to that have worked with him and why, you know, why he kind of needed a few years out of the league. It wasn't because nobody wanted him around. It was because he had to <laughs> he had to work on some people skills. But um, Bates is a guy who, you know, he, he's going to team up now with Rick Dennison, who they've worked together in the past and, and had some success under Mike Shanahan. So there, there are some coaches in place now who we, can, who, you know, we can look at and say these guys have had legitimate success in their roles and doing their job in developing young players. Um, you know, the downside is that, you know, you, you know, 
a guy who I didn't mention, you know, Stump Mitchell does a nice job with the running backs. Like, there are some good guys on the staff, but then you got Casey Rogers, and no one in the world can figure out why he's still on the staff. Um, obviously, it's, you know, Todd Bowles is kind of keeps Casey, you know, gives him gives him a little protection, uh, keeps him on board, knowing that really Bowles is the guy calling the shots. Casey's a buddy of his. They work together in Miami, I believe, Miami or Dallas or both. Um, so doesn't want to fire his buddy. It happens, um, and kind of takes the heat for for the fact that he's a, you know, Todd Bowles says you know that he's a has this reputation as being this uh, a defensive mastermind, but <clears throat> has had a hard time staying out of the twenties on defense. Not entirely his fault. Hasn't had great players. So this year the players are better. Will the results be better? We'll have to wait and see. But but you're right, and it's a good question. Who is it on? I think. You know, you're not going to hit on every draft pick, but there are enough young, talented guys that this this coaching staff, if they do their job, that you got to find a way to make three or four of these guys starting players who are you know contributing in a, in a big way over the next year or two. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally, I totally agree with that because you're you're in a position that you're going to rebuild and you're going to bring you're bringing in talent, you're drafting or whatever. But if you're not coaching them or you're not using them or they're not fitting your scheme or 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 vice versa or whatever, like, you know, McCann might see something one way, Tabo may see something 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 else or whatever. But, you know, like you know, Darren Darren Lee's and all that comes to mind or whatever. I mean the guy's got speed, you know, you can maybe throw him on the outside and Jamal Adams on the other end to get some pressure into the quarterback or you got some decent cornerbacks back there to at least give you enough time to get to the quarterback. So I mean I don't I don't think Yeah, well that that's gonna be one of the biggest that's going to be one of the biggest stories this season is how does Todd Bowles find a way to get to the quarterback? I mean, he's got, he's got better corners now. I mean, you can't, you, you've now got uh, a, a number one corner who was franchised multiple times because he's that highly thought of your number two corner was last year's number one. He played well enough that you would think as a two, he'd be even better. And uh, you have two safeties that you took in round one and two last year and undoubtedly had a huge hand in taking those guys. So you have a twice-franchised corner one. You have, uh, you know, a good enough, not great, but good enough corner two, and a first and second round pick at your two safety spots. You know, what more do you need in your secondary to implement this defense that, that won you assistant coach of the year as a defensive coordinator in Arizona the year before you came to the Jets? So as much as we've talked about, you know, does Todd Bowles get fired this year if they don't make the playoffs and there's, is there a postseason ultimatum and how many games does he have to win? I don't think there's a real answer to that. I think the answer is how well are they playing as a team? How well do they play down the stretch? But if we see more games blown in the fourth quarter and in the second half and we see the offense continuing to play well enough to win and the defense not holding leads, I think that's what could get Todd Bowles fired. Um, even if they even if they go 7-9, and nine, the team goes 7-9, and nine, which is you know, better than a lot of people expect. I think that's the floor for this team, seven and nine. If they if that happens, but but Chris Johnson sits down and, and he says, you know, well, yeah, we went seven and nine, but we blew three fourth quarter leads. That could that that's we'd be in the playoffs right now if our defense didn't keep falling apart. So I don't think it's gonna be about the wins and losses necessarily. I think it's gonna be about how well the team plays late, how well how good the young players develop. But even if the, even if that's happening, if we're seeing guys play well but if the defense still isn't getting it done, I think Todd Bowles is gone. I, uh, 
I, you know, I agree. Uh, last year, like I said, they 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 impressed. They were, they were playing well. Uh, I thought that it was due to the, you know coaching um, last year. I think the coaches put players in the right positions. Mistakes were made towards the end where they, we could have won a couple of games here and there. Um, and you know, I'm looking forward to see what they do this year. You know, now you're getting into that pivotal, you know, third year when normally players put things together and, and make that leap, you know. And, and again, to me, uh, I, you know, I know that the talent is there. I know that they're folks, that they're guys that, that really can produce and, and, and be very well. Um, you know, the D-line brings me concern. I mean, we, we, at one point that, that wasn't a concern for us, you know. We had, uh, you know, Williams, Moe, and Sheldon, and the problem was the backfield. Now it's, it's vice versa now. You got these young guys coming in with a D line. You still got, uh, you know, the, the leader there at the line. But um, you know, we're just gonna see how how well they get coached, and that's that's my biggest concern. Yep, the onus is on them, man. The talent's there. The results have to get better, and uh, and hopefully they do. And and good luck to you, Rich, in getting yourself some tickets. And like I said, unfortunate. It's unfortunate this year they only opened up three practices, but uh, keep your eye out that's next fine. year and hopefully. Hopefully, if you're able to come out, we can uh, go out and grab a drink or something, all right? Oh, absolutely. I, I would love to definitely meet up with you. All right, sounds good, man. Take good care. To bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, so that was Rich, one of our regulars. And uh, down to just a few minutes, but before I go, uh, Rich Rich actually called in right before I, I had a chance to say it. I talked about uh, our my, uh, my, my former co-host, Joe Blewett, and the uh, – both both of our enthusiasm for bringing Ross Martin in as, as the team's kicker last year. Just wanted to give uh, Joe a quick plug. As many of you know, he's moved on to uh, turn on the Jets, and he's going to be breaking down Jets film for them as he was doing here for a little while. So check him out. You follow him on Twitter, I'm sure, if you were listening here, at Joe Blewett, B-L-E-W-E-T-T. And uh, he's also going to be on turn on the Jets film room, at T-O-J film room. Uh, give him a holler, see how he's doing. And... Uh, Say hi to Joe, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, we'll be meeting up with Joe during camp at some point. He's a good guy. And that's it for us tonight on Jet Nation Radio. We do thank you for joining us. And man, as I said an hour ago, uh, we're we're now one hour closer to to actual football. What a relief! I think we've all, you know, it's as as much fun as this off season has been because we believe we finally got our quarterback. Um, once that happens, man, you want the season to start that second. Like that, that second you draft Sam Darnold, you, you, want, you want the year to start now. Um, so it's been, it's been a wait that has felt like months. Luckily, well, it has been months, but it's, sorry, it's been months. It feels like it's been years. But the wait's just about over. For me, I'm going to sign off. I'm going to pack my bags, finish, finish packing my bags tomorrow, and I'll be on a flight to Florham Park on Thursday. And, uh, Hopefully, like I said, hopefully drop a couple of sneak podcasts in there unannounced and just uh, just pop on here and give you guys some updates. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we look forward to uh, we look forward to football in a couple of days. Thanks for looking up, folks. Have a great night.